This audio essay, part of our new JSW Radio Archive series, features a brief excerpt from British Lieutenant W.H. Hardy's epic travelogue, Travels in the Interior of Mexico in 1825, 1826, 1827, and 1828. Hardy landed a commission by the General Pearl and Coral Fishery Association of England to explore the Gulf of California and secure concessions from the newly independent Mexican government. Largely through the efforts of men like Hardy, the tentacles of British capital were extending into some of the most remote regions of the globe during the 19th century. In the case of Mexico, British investment would in some places profoundly transform landscapes and alter the trajectory of people's lives. Hardy was both a keen observer and horribly malinformed, producing important descriptions and maps, but also making many errors that reflect his poor grasp of the Spanish language and the air of cultural superiority and racism that one might expect in such travelogues of the day. We pick up the thread of Harvey's adventure as he is returning to the port of Guaymas in July 1826, following a long sojourn across Sonora while he awaited the arrival of one of his sailing vessels, the Wolf, which would take him and his crew across the Gulf of California to the Baja Peninsula. His other ship was the Bruja, which Hardy liked to call the Sea Witch. Hardy's trip across Sonora took him to Pitik, today's Hermosillo, the capital of Sonora, up the Rio Sonora to Ures, south to Alamos and El Fuerte, and then back to Guaymas through the territory of the Yaquis, or Yoemem, as they refer to themselves. At that time, the Yoemem were defending their ancestral territory from non-indigenous advances, and Hardy describes a harrowing journey back to Guaymas, moving through their lands on muleback, with little more than pitaya cactus fruit to sustain him, and with very little water to drink. Travels in the Interior of Mexico is a fascinating account of Northwest Mexico and a pivotal moment in this very young nation's history. You can find it online, as well as a version of it published by a Rio Grande Press in 1977, which includes an introduction by the late Borderlands historian David J. Weber. Enjoy! Travels in the Interior of Mexico by W. H. Hardy I arrived at the port of Guaymas at noon. The vessels Wolf and Bruja had been some days waiting my arrival, having returned from their unsuccessful expeditions, the one at Loreto, the other at Tiburon Island. From the captain and supercargo of the Wolf, I received information of their operations and saw specimens of the pearl oyster which they had obtained. The pearls were wretchedly small, badly shaped, and few in number, and they attributed their failure more to the inefficiency of the diving bell than to any other definable cause. Their drags, too, they assured me, had been perfectly useless, except in bringing up a few shells, among which I discovered the murex. In consequence of this unpleasant information, I commenced inquiries respecting native divers. Unfortunately, only four could be obtained. I may here observe that the only efficient divers are those of the Yaqui Nation, and as they were all engaged in the revolution, none were to be had upon any terms except the four alluded to, who probably, if they had been good for anything, would have already joined their brethren. A difficulty had arisen in consequence of the Bruja, which bore the Mexican flag, being commanded by an Englishman, as the statute expressly says that the captain and two-thirds of the crew are to be Mexicans. This is an absurd regulation, nor can it at present be acted upon, as the only seamen to be obtained are Indians from the Manila Islands, who happen occasionally to be discharged from merchantmen arriving from that port. And so convinced has the Mexican government become of the injustice of obliging shipowners to give the command of their vessels, if they bear the national flag, to people incompetent to navigate them, 
that they have lately issued an order in council with the consent of the General Congress that foreigners may be allowed to command Mexican vessels, provided an efficient Mexican captain cannot be obtained. Of this order, however, Senor Pesqueda, the commandant, pleaded ignorance, and said his duty obliged him to detain the Bruja in port. I was surprised at his objecting on this ground to her sailing now, inasmuch as he had made no difficulty on that account when she left on her first expedition. But fortunately I had received official information respecting the order in question, and showed it to the commandant, who looked rather astonished, and was then obliged to acknowledge that he had heard of it before. I found the Bruja in a wretched state for sea service. Her sails could not resist a fresh breeze, and she was unprovided with cables and anchors notwithstanding the directions I had left relative to her complete equipment. Getting her ready for sea occupied us until the 10th, on which day I made arrangements for sailing in the Wolf. On the night previous to this day, however, the approach of the Yaquis was so positively affirmed that a deputation consisting of the alcalde, commandant, and others personally waited upon me to petition in the name of heaven and all the saints that I would delay my departure for a day or two, as the presence of the vessels would be their only protection in case a general massacre were attempted by the Yaquis. Feeling it to be my duty to succor the people in such distress, and that by a compliance with the solicitation made by the most important personages in the port, I should gain so many additional friends for the Pearl and Coral Company, I consented to remain for two or three days longer. From the 11th to the 15th, time passed in successive alarms, and each night the women and children slept on the wharf, ready for embarkation the instant an attack on the town should be made. During these days of general panic, junta after junta assembled without once coming to a resolution. Deputations every instant passed each other on the road from the port to the rancho and from the rancho to the port, praying for assistance, which both wanted and neither had to bestow. Horsemen and women and children on foot momentarily arrived with precipitation, having left their clothes behind them, not less on account of their fright than from reflecting that the divided councils of the rancho were no guarantee for safety. The commandant of the rancho had taken up a station halfway between it and the nearest Yaqui town, with a respectable force and a field piece. But early on the morning of the 14th, he came galloping into the rancho as hard as his horse could carry him, followed at a distance by all his troop. It appears that during the previous night, the Indians had surrounded the picket, concealing themselves among the bushes and reeds, and instead of attacking them in the usual way of warfare, used only the weapons of menace and satire, which they managed with such ready wit and address that the commandant and his brave companions, thinking their situation no longer a safe one, commenced a rapid and confused flight. They had, however, previously thrown their cannon into a ditch that it might not detain them on their retreat or fall into the enemy's hands which it must have done if it had been left above ground. The commandant swore that the Indians were in pursuit and would attack the rancho in less than half an hour, and he strongly recommended everyone to go to the port and to embark in the vessels for Lower California without a moment's delay. It is said that the advice would have been implicitly followed could the property, which would have been left behind, have been insured. The result was that avarice subdued fear for a time, and although numbers went, yet a great portion remained. On the 16th in the evening, the American brig Berminger arrived, and this released me from the necessity of prolonging my stay. On the morning of the 17th, I embarked in the Wolf, and we immediately proceeded to sea with the Bruja, although the wind was contrary, blowing a fresh gale from the southeast.